Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Brave Hearts. This is part three of Bravehearts episode with the Grass Valley Police Department, Chief Gamelgard, discussing the uniqueness of the program with the officers and social workers. I think what Kelly said about like the clientele that, that they deal with and maybe some apprehensions about law enforcement and stuff, I think that's what's really unique is that because some people would ask why a social worker and a law enforcement officer and some of the folks that this team is serving do have criminal backgrounds and can be dangerous. And so there's that piece, right? That's kind of the obvious piece. Okay. But then the part that I think is more nuanced is that some of the folks that Jonathan hears about from other Grass Valley police officers and or local law enforcement officers who have had extensive history with somebody. And the reason why we're starting to deal with folks like that as a police agency rather than the social service side is because for a number of reasons, maybe that individual hasn't engaged with that social service network anymore mm-hmm. as well. And so then it's rising to our level. So really, this is sort of a safety net piece, trying to pick up some of those individuals, hopefully before things progress further into a, a negative space. And so, for example, if you have someone who had a good connection to a bunch of relationships, caseworkers, housing, whatever it was, and at some point have lost those connections, now we're getting calls from the community on 911 or otherwise. And they expect law enforcement to go deal with it. Mm -hmm. And Kelly's comment about Jonathan having social worker, and I think pretty much every police officer has some Mm -hmm. amount of social worker in them. Mm -hmm. Jonathan happens to develop that skill in a a way that's, uh, you know, really impressive. But I think that we get called when nobody else knows, when there's nothing else to do. And so Mm -hmm. we show up, and it's way more powerful if we have someone like Kelly that can help navigate for us how to deal with it. Because at the end of the day, we're going to get called when there's something that doesn't look right to a community member. Right. Yeah, the buck stops here, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jonathan, how would you describe your social worker quality? You know? <laughs> um, oh, and and the, the reason why I'm asking is because it may give the community an idea mm-hmm. of how to be. Yeah. One of the things that I think that has helped with this position, my position, we have the opportunity to take time to speak with people when on a normal patrol shift, a beat officer may not have that luxury. So for instance, if we have four officers working on a day shift, well, every day is different, but let's say that 20 people call 911. Well, all of those calls are stacking up and you only have four officers to handle all those calls. So it's really... Do you take an hour on the first call and let the other 19 community members wait for two hours before law enforcement arrives? Mm -hmm. Or do you try to be as efficient as possible? You handle the call, make sure it's safe, try to give the best service you can, and then clear that call and move to the next one because there's more 911s and more calls stacking up. This position is different because I don't normally handle general calls for service from the community. I don't have an assigned beat. I can drive all over the city and we're more proactive. I'm not just responding to all the 911 calls coming in. So I have the luxury of time. There's other officers that are handling all of those calls. So when we go out to speak with somebody, 
one of the things that we can do is we can listen. I have the time to sit there and let someone talk. And sometimes I don't say a word for 15 minutes. They may not need me to say a word. And that might be all we do. There's, there's sometimes I pull up and give somebody a bottle of water or a pair of socks and that's it. And then the next time they might want to say a couple words and then I'll drive away. And then the next time they might talk with me for 20, 30 minutes. It's like Kelly said, that progressive engagement. We have one guy that waved at Kelly the other day, which was huge because I like, was shocked. <laughs> going from zero contact, not wanting to speak with us at all, not even wanting to look at Kelly to the point where he's flagging us down in our car and waving us to come over to talk to him. That happens over a period of time. And yeah, it is, it is, uh, it can be exhausting because you think you'll make a lot of progress with somebody and then something may happen. And then it's like one step forward, two steps, steps back sometimes. But it's like the chief said, I mean, you have one of our challenges is people, right? So people are all different and, and they have their own issues they're going through as well. So we just have to work with that. But I think one of the things that helps us a lot is that we get to listen. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org.